It's a great gift that the Lord gives us so we might go to his word together. There are places all over the globe where they can't just freely open a Bible. They might not be able to even afford one. Um, or they might not be free to have it in their presence. Their life might be on the line holding this very book that you might have in your hands. And so we need to remember how, how great of a gift it is for us to sit here today freely opening this word. And to come to it saying, man, the Lord wishes to do something. Not to just give me a pick me up today, but to send us into eternity. This is the living word of God. And if you don't have a Bible, we want to make sure everybody has a Bible. So if you need a Bible of your own, we do have Bibles located on the tables on the side and in the back. If you need a Bible, grab a Bible, write your name on it. It's yours to keep and you get to have it and read it. And if somebody else comes along that you know and they need a Bible, take a Bible to them or give them the one you got because we'll just buy them more. Okay? Or you can show up at Kids Converge and get a Bible with all the kids. We'll get Bibles to as many people as we can. But what a precious opportunity we have to read the Word of God as He's given it to us. Now, if you would, take your Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 10 today. We've been moving now swiftly through the book as John has been given this revelation. It starts at the very beginning of the book saying, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so while there's a lot of different things that go on that maybe are confusing, a lot of symbolic things, prophetical things, maybe lots of scary things at times, we have to remember that it's not meant to scare us and it's not meant to make us confused. All together, it's somehow focusing our attention on Jesus, that we might know that he's in charge, that he's a savior, and he's coming back again. And so it's trying to get our attention. Now, we have been moving through this book recently, looking at there, there was seven seals that were given on a scroll. And the only one who could break those seals was Jesus, was Jesus. So as he broke those seals, one by one, different tribulations and circumstances would occur. And then there was a pause between the sixth and the seventh one. And as the seventh one was broken, there were then seven trumpets given to seven angels. And so the trumpets last week we saw begin to blow those trumpets one by one. And again, as each one was blown, there was a tribulation or something occurring on the earth, some circumstances by which things got crazy. I mean, the things that were going on with people dying and with resources and the things in the sky and creation just kind of going nuts. And wars happening. It's like, man, what is going on? And yet we saw that in the midst of all that shaking that's kind of going on, that it's all meant for people to say, wait a second, there's Jesus. And so we got through six of those trumpets. And just like with the seals, there was a pause between the sixth and the seventh. So also with the trumpets, there's a pause between the sixth and the seventh. And that's where we find ourselves today. The pause between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And so we come to Revelation chapter 10. And John, again, is just writing down the things he's seeing. That's what Jesus commanded to do. What you see, you write. And so he says in verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun. And his legs like pillars of fire. I personally have never seen anything like that. I can try to imagine it. And I can't almost even comprehend what that would look like. But what is happening here is this angel coming down from heaven. And the best way I can use to describe this is that he's wearing the team colors. Okay. It's not Jesus, but there's been a lot described about Jesus that looks very much like that as far as being in the midst of the clouds, as far as having that rainbow, having a, a lower half of fire throughout scripture. That's what Jesus looks like. And so people who are on the team of Jesus look like Jesus. I think he's wearing the team colors 
And so here comes this angel coming from the throne room, coming to give a message to John. That's what John is seeing. It says here in verse 2 then, he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and called out with a loud voice like a roaring, uh, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And so this angel comes down and one foot's planted on the sea and the other foot's planted on the land. And what all that means, I don't know. It probably has something to do with the fact that what is about to occur has authority no matter where you are on earth. He came out of heaven where Jesus has authority. He is now on earth in both the sea and the land by which in those places Jesus also has authority. He made the land. He made the sea. He made all the creatures that operate and live in those areas. And so here comes this message that has authority throughout all of creation. And the angel stands there on the sea and in the land. And then he cries out with this loud sound, and it talks about these seven thunders sounding. It says in verse 4, And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm super curious about what those thunders said. When we don't know, because... John heard it, and whoever's in the vision heard it, but when John went to go do his job, he had been told, whatever you see, write it down. And so he sees and hears what the thunders say, but as he goes to write, God's voice comes from heaven and says, don't write that, though. I don't want that revealed. And so we just have to say, okay. Whatever it was, was just for that moment. It was just for John to hear. It was something going on, but that was to be sealed up and not revealed. We don't know what it is, and it's going to stay that way. We just don't know. Maybe one day when we're there with Jesus, Jesus will say, now I'm going to tell you what the seven thunders said. And so that's one of the things I want to ask him. What did they say? He may say, you still can't know, and I'll just have to live with that. It goes on in verse 5 and says this, And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, and who created the heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. And so this angel says, I swear, I swear, by heaven, everything that's in it, you know, by him, I'm swearing by God. And he goes on and says, now what's about to happen is going to fulfill everything that the prophets had spoken about. Everything has been working till this point when everything would be completed. And when we read scripture, as we've already even seen in the book of Revelation, that after there's the six seals and then the seventh seal is broken, there comes the rescue and the wrath of God. It's the very end. As well, when the seven trumpets come, we've had the six and God is having the labor pains build up, right? And we're waiting for that seventh trumpet where when the seventh trumpet sounds, it's all over. The final wrath and the final rescue come from Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's building up to that moment again. And that's what the angel is talking about. He's saying that here it is, we're on the verge. But in that day that the, uh, that the trumpet called to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled. Everything that's been spoken about, it will be done. And how do we know? He says, for sure, I just swore. I swear by God. This is going to happen. This is the message that God has given. And remember, he's the one standing on the sea and the land that has the authority to speak such things because Jesus has given him the message of that prophecy. The end is about to come at the seventh trumpet. It goes on in verse 8 and says this. Then the voice 
that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, go, take the scroll that is in the open hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take and eat it. It'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, in my, uh, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So that's crazy. <laughs> you know, it seems crazy to us. But what is happening here is as that angel has that little scroll, it's written on both sides. John takes it and he's commanded in that moment to eat it. And that when he eats it, it'll taste sweet, but it'll be bitter in his stomach. What's all that about? It's actually drawing off an Old Testament occurrence that happened also after Ezekiel had been given his call. So I want to read that passage really fast as it gives us some insight as to what happens. This happens in Ezekiel chapter uh, starting in verse two, uh, excuse me, chapter two, verse eight. It says, but you, son of man, he's talking to Ezekiel. Hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me and behold, a scroll of a book was in it and he spread it before me and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with the scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Uh, later on in verse 10, it says, moreover, he said to me, son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. And so when Ezekiel received his call, he was also given a message. As it said there, he received the scroll that had writing on both sides. It was filled with lamentations and mourning and woe. And the Lord says, as you eat this, Ezekiel, it's going to be sweet in your mouth. But then as he goes, yes, it's sweet in his mouth. But as he goes to give that message to the people of Israel, they were a rebellious house. They were a rebellious people. So even though it's a sweet message of God concerning his holiness, it actually became a judgment upon the people because they rejected the holiness of God. And he says to Ezekiel, while you eat this and while you have my word, you, Ezekiel, must hear my word. It has to do a work in you, too. You hear it and do exactly what I say. And Ezekiel did that. He heard the hard word of the Lord and he repented in his heart and he he served the living and holy God. And he went out and spoke the message of God, the same one that was given to him. And what did the people of Israel do? They rejected it. They rejected it. And so when we're back in Revelation, the same thing happens to John. The angel has the scroll in his hand. It's written both sides. He said, when you eat this, it'll be sweet in your mouth. It'll be bitter in your stomach. Oh, and go out with this message. It said at the end of the chapter, and I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. What's happening in the giving of the scroll 
is an illustration of what happens with the gospel. Now, when we think about the gospel, the word gospel means good news. When we say the good news of Jesus Christ, we're saying that God sent somebody to die in your place. That you are such a sinner. You have been so wicked and rebellious like the people of Israel, like any other person that's ever lived. You are so wicked and rebellious and against God that if nothing saved you, you cannot save yourself. And so you would end up in hell. You would be dead forever. And so God, seeing your needs, seeing your sin, sent a rescuer, sent a redeemer, somebody to pay for your sin and to redeem you out of death and to place you into eternal life with him. That was Jesus. That's the message of the gospel is that he is so good and loving that he gave his life for you. He died in your place on that cross. That's why we have the cross. That's why we we wear it around our necks and we put it on our walls and we put it on bulletins and and we paint pictures about it. and We think about it. The cross is special, not just because a man was executed on it. He was executed on it instead of you. And so it's good news. It's good news that you in your heart could say, I hear that message and I believe that message and I pray that God forgive me of my sin. And so all of your sin is taken off of you and placed on Jesus on his cross. And in exchange, you get to go free. You get to live forever. That's the good news of the gospel. But here's the reality. That has a sweet, sweet taste to it. But as the good news goes out to a wicked and rebellious people, not only the people of Israel, but the people of the world, as the good news of the Lamb of God comes their way, they have a decision to make, don't they? They could say, what a great message. I believe it and I want it. Please save me from my sin. They could call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Or could they say what? No. I don't want it. I see what you've done. I've heard about what you've done. But I don't want you to be my king and I don't want you to be my savior. And so as a result, the gospel in bringing good news for some also means death and judgment for others because they have rejected the good news. If a doctor came to you and said, sir or ma'am. You have cancer. But I have good news for you. There is a treatment. Let me give you this special treatment. If you receive this treatment, you will live. But if you do not receive this treatment, what you have is terminal. And there's nothing else that can help you. You in that moment as a patient can hear that good news and say, yes, give me the treatment. But you could also choose to do what? You could say no. You could say, doctor, you've shown me the x-rays. You've. You've shown me the pamphlets that say this treatment is the only thing that can cure me. But you know what? I pass. And then what's that mean for you? Death. It means death. And so one thing we have to understand about the gospel is it's the word of God. It's a double-edged sword that cuts both ways. For some, when they are confronted with the word of God and the gospel... And they recognize their sin and that there's a Savior who's paid for them. They say, yes, and they are cut, and they are cut unto life. But there are some, when they hear the good news of the gospel and what Jesus has done for them, and that he's, he's paid for their sin and he wants to save them, they look at them, him and they say, no, 
and they are cut away towards death. See, the gospel cuts both ways. The gospel cuts towards life and it cuts towards death. Now, to make this a little bit more vibrant and real, the scripture talks about how it is a double-edged sword. Speaks about how it's sharp, it's living and active. I'm not going to ask for any volunteers because I'm pretty sure nobody would come up here about this time. And the scripture says that the word of God does the work. It goes out and gives the good news. It tells us about Jesus, all that he did. It tells you about who you are and that you're a sinner. The only way that you could be saved is that you hear the good news. And in that moment, you would respond and say yes, and you would be saved. But in that moment, if you say no, or in your life, if you reject the word of God and you say no, it means death. It is a real sword, I heard somebody whisper. Now, I had a dear, dear friend, a ministry partner of mine, who gave me this sword. It's a double-edged sword, just like the scripture is described in scripture, uh, about itself in scripture. It's sharp. Now, I don't have any talent with this thing. Otherwise, I'd do some type of ninja move and whack it out of the air. Uh, but I'd probably injure you or me or, or cut some wires, and I'm not going to do that. But I want to illustrate for you. I got an apple, plain old apple. We bought it at Trader Joe's. There's nothing fake about it, nothing fake about this sword. But when this sword goes to cut, I hope this works. As it cuts through, here's an apple. I've got it in my hand. The sword cut through and I have an apple. It's good. I can eat it. It's delicious. I could give it to my kids. It's nutritious. It's wonderful. It's good. When I cut this apple, there was some here that gives life. But did you notice? I'm only holding half of that apple. What did the sword do to the other half? I don't know if you saw, but I put a little trash can here to keep our church clean. You're welcome, Miss Lo- uh, Miss Lois and Miss Willadine. Uh, who wants to eat this apple? Y- yeah, I got some people on the front row saying, "No, that's that's not suitable for eating," because while half the apple was cut towards health and nutrition and life, there was half of it that was dumped off into a garbage can. And not fit for eating. It's not healthy anymore. There's, there's germs on it. I don't want, I don't, there's coffee grounds on it. But not even I will eat that. You know it's got to be bad then. It's an apple that's not good for eating. It was cut towards death. The gospel is sweet. It is good. It is like a nutritious apple. When it saves you, you are made into a new creature. You are no longer that beast that you were. You are no longer in rebellion and an enemy against God. You have been given life. By Jesus. And you know what God loves to do with people who are his, who he's changed? He loves to eat them. You know, you in Christ are sweet to God. Apart from Christ, do you know what you are? When you've heard the gospel and you've said, no, if you're apart from Christ, you're no better than the apple that sits in this garbage can. Now, he loves you. He has desired for you not to be in the garbage, not to be in hell, not to be in death. 
when the good news, the truth of the gospel comes your way. If you want to be sweet, if you want to be right and good. Then you'll be cut towards Jesus. If you say no, then the gospel cuts you towards death. And so as John receives that message, he's told that, hey. You got to go out with this message and people are going to hear about Jesus. And as you go out to the nations, there's going to be people who reject it. It's going to be bitter in your gut. Because people are going to say no. But the other truth of that is that there's people who are going to say yes. Some of you have said yes. Some of you need to say yes. Some of you have been riding the wave of God's goodness towards you, but you're still saying no. But you can't pretend to be the apple on the cutting board. If you're still saying no, you're the apple in the garbage. I had a friend in college. His name was Jack. Jack was one of those wild guys who, I mean, he just loved adventure. And so uh, he went to a thrift shop, bought himself a tuxedo. And on the weekends, he would go down to the big fancy hotels in Chicago. And he would, he would crash all the weddings and uh, the receptions. And he would, he would go in there and he'd be dancing and everybody just, Assumed he was part of the wedding and he would go and he'd have these big plates of food and he'd talk with people. And I mean, Jack just lived up the wedding reception life. Why could he do that? Well, you addressed the part. Were the bride and groom ever going to see him again? No. Was he going to make it to the the renewal of vows, maybe uh, vows, vows uh, 25 years later? No. Was he going to get Christmas cards from them? Was he going to be in continued relationship with the bride and the groom and the family? No. Why? Because he was living a lie. He was enjoying the benefits of the moment, but he had no relationship with the bride and groom. And therefore, he was going to be exposed as one who was false. And so you may be going to church and you may be enjoying the benefits of life that God has given you. Breath, apples, a job, warmth, a pet. I mean, God has given you so much to enjoy life with. But right now, you're just wearing the tuxedo. In your heart, the good news of the gospel has come your way. And you said, Lord, I love all your benefits, but I don't love you. And if you don't love God in this life, there's no way you will enjoy him for eternity. And so you will be cut by the gospel unto death. And you will be separated from him. The very first day of the church, the Apostle Peter stands up and gives his very first sermon. He had never preached before that we have any record of. The Holy Spirit has baptized him and now filled him to go speak the gospel. And so he stands up in front of Jews who have murdered Jesus. They were the ones who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And now Peter is speaking to the murderers of Jesus. And he says... This one whom you've crucified. He is both Lord and Christ. He went through and talked to them about his death and his resurrection. How he saves people from their sins. And he says he is both Lord and Christ. And as those Jews who had murdered Jesus received the gospel. In Acts chapter 2 it says this. And they were cut to the heart. That's what it literally says. That the gospel came and sliced them. And in the moment that their heart was sliced, when they heard the good news about Jesus, they respond with a question to Peter. They say this. What then shall we do? 
If you've heard the good news about Jesus, that's the same question you should be asked. What then should I do? And Peter's response is, repent and be baptized. That is, you say before God, God, I see that you're holy. I see that I'm wicked. You have done something good for me by sending Jesus. And so I confess my sin and I say, I'm sorry. And I turn from my sin. I no longer want to look like the apple that's in the trash bin. I want to look like Jesus. And so for the rest of your life, when you repent, you start at repentance and you continue to repentance. You continue to look like Christ. And he's, he's shaping you and forming you to look holy. And it's good and it's sweet. And he loves the taste of you in that way. If you've heard the gospel and say, what then should I do? Repent. Repent today and for the rest of your life. And you know what? It'll be sweet. There is nothing better than the sweetness of Jesus taking away all your guilt and knowing that your eternal life starts now. Cancer, you may get it, but it can't touch you. It can't cost you eternity. Okay? Sunburns and all that, there's soreness for a while, but it's, it's better being scorched in hell. Okay? Start living eternity now. What then should you do? Repent. And then it says to be baptized. The baptism in the water, it doesn't save you. But what happens is when you are baptized in water, you're being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You are dying with Christ and you are resurrecting with Christ. It's an outward sign of what's happened in your heart. For Christians, we are told to do two things. Take communion together as we remember Jesus' blood and his body that he sacrificed for us on the cross. But it also says as the church, together we are to baptize. That is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Into water you are baptized to be an outward sign of what God's done inside of you. Well, why? This is why. Like the angel that came down to heaven and he was in a cloud and rainbow and all that fire legs. He was wearing the team colors. Angels, I guess that's what they do. For the church, when you repent from your sin, you live life, you're wearing team colors by living in Christ and also when you are baptized. That is you putting on the jersey. That is you taking the name of Jesus, the name of the Father, and the name of the Holy Spirit and say, I'm on his team, I want everybody to know. Some people might be Panther fans. For a while when they're losing, you might like kind of hide it under a jacket. And then when they start winning, what do you do, Derek? That's right. He's dabbing. He's taking off anything that might hide it. And you say, I'm a Panther fan. Right? When you know the team is good, you wear those colors. And when you know your Savior is good, you wear his team colors. And so what then should you do when you hear the gospel? Repent and wear the team colors. Okay? That means every day of the rest of your life, you get to walk with Jesus and it'll be sweet and it'll be pleasant and there's going to be hard times and the world's going to hate you and the world needs to hear the good news that you're going to share with them and they're going to shake their heads and they're going to reject you. It's going to be bitter. They might even punch you once in a while. Man, it'll be worth it. It will be worth it because one day the seventh trumpet's coming Remember, we're right in that in-between point. And when that seventh trumpet comes, Scripture says that Jesus will come down from his throne 
And he will come on his war horse with a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, his word. And that sword will slay and destroy his enemies. But if you, after hearing the gospel, have been cut unto repentance, cut unto eternal life, he doesn't come after you in that day with a sword to destroy you, a sword of judgment, a sword of wrath. He comes with that sword and a kind word, and he says your name. He says, hey, you, Jason, Alan, Judy, Wilma, you, my people, who are wearing my team colors, come home. Come home. Let's go to eternity together. When that seventh trumpet sounds, be sure that in this day you've been cut towards life, not towards death. Because when it comes to fulfill all that the prophets have said, on that day, there will be no moments left. That sword will either destroy you or it will call your name and you will go home. You might say, well, I don't understand all of Revelation. It's okay. There's nobody who does. Even John was bewildered. But you, what you do know, you're responsible for that now. And if you've heard the good news of the gospel, repent. Be baptized. Be saved. Father, we come to you today. We thank you that you have told us the truth about ourselves, that we're in a bad condition even when we're born. We come out rebellious and wicked and just wanting to kick and scream against you. And we, we would do that for all of our life if just left to be. But you sent Jesus and your word to save us and to inform us concerning our condition, but also concerning the fact that you have an answer and that you paid with your life for our sins. And so we're grateful. There's no hoops that we need to jump through. We just say, yes, we just repent and say, I believe, please forgive me. And you forgive and wash away all of our sins. How awesome that is that you cut us unto life. You extend to us eternity. You you give us a residence in your family. You allow us to be baptized and immersed into the body of your people. And you will save us to the uttermost. And we're so thankful. Lord, this morning we know that it's easy to just put on a tuxedo and to look fancy, to look churchy and religious. Show up at all the services to, to say some prayers at every meal and just look the part. Lord, I pray that if anybody's struggling in this moment, and they've recognized in their heart that they've just been playing dress up, that right now you would cut them towards life and do that miracle of belief whereby they say, I repent. I am yours, Lord. You are my king and I will be your servant for all of eternity. Lord, I pray in this moment that you would save them. I pray that they would take off the fake tuxedo garments and that they would put on the team colors. Lord, that we would all be dressed in the white, righteous garments of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for this good word. We pray that we would be 
taking it to our friends and families and neighbors and strangers, whoever you might call us to go to this week, Lord. We pray that we would take the message. It is sweet. It also talks of judgment. But Lord, we pray that we'd be faithful to give it. Thank you so much for your work in us, Lord. We pray you'd receive all the glory in Jesus' name.